Father, I thank you for a place set aside for us to be on a Saturday night. I thank you for people who care enough to organize something like CE. Lord, I thank you for all the people who have gathered here, our friends who we've come with, and what a joy and a blessing it is to enjoy life with them. But Lord, most of all, I thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you are here, and the God who is alive, the God who speaks, the God who loves us. And so Lord, I pray that each of the young people here tonight would see you and trust you and discover how much you love them. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Christmas is coming, which is great. Who is excited? Yeah, that's good. Be a few occasions tonight where I'm going to need you to wave your arms and at least um, join in with me that far. How do I know Christmas is coming? Any ideas? Apart from the date and the calendar? Do you know how I know in our house if nothing else tells me Christmas is coming, if nobody has mentioned decorations, if nobody has mentioned Santa, um, if nobody has got this big long list written, do you know what tells me Christmas is coming? Bottles and bottles and more bottles of this stuff. Um, in the shops, particularly, I think it's Spar that, that do these deals. Do you know what's happened in the last few days in our house? And I'm, not, I'm going to embarrass Karen. She's not here, my wife. But I go to the dining room, and there's a stash of bottles, maybe 12 white ones and 12 red ones. I think, great, that'll do us to at least Easter. And then some of those get shifted on to my parents, and Karen goes and buys more. I went out to the boot of the Corsa. What's in the boot of the Corsa? Bottles of slur. Went to the fridge. There's more bottles and stuff. It's just everywhere in our house at the moment. And I know Christmas is coming. There was a night last week, actually, um, and there was a, a bottle of this stuff sitting at the table. And it was sitting beside a bottle of water. We've got two bottles for water. They sit in the fridge. We bring them out um, every mealtime. Two glass bottles with cool water. But there was also this bottle of red slur. And I thought, oh, How's that got to the table? I wonder, is that for now? Or is that just accidentally got to the table? But it was for now. And I'm sitting thinking, wow, what if, and this is the Balamina man in me thinking, what if I could take bottles of water and just like that, turn them into slur? Red grape juice, white grape juice. And then I'm thinking, I could sell them. And I could make a lot of money out of this. And I could set up my own little shop, and if people come to me, if I could turn water into grape juice, or wine, or slur. But it's impossible. Anybody here fancy, if I brought out a bottle of water and said, guys, who fancies turning it into to wine? Anybody up for it? Anybody think they could do it? There's one joker at the back put his hand up. But I know you couldn't do it, and you know you couldn't do it. You see, it's just not possible. It is one of those things that we would say is impossible, but the passage from the Bible that Rachel read for us just a minute or two ago tells a story about a night or a day, an evening, where Jesus was at a wedding feast, and this actually happened. That water, straightforward, I was going to say tap water, but probably well water, got turned into wine, and it was dead obvious that it had happened. And you say, Sam, that's a nice idea, but it's not possible. Well, let me tell you tonight, for the people who were there on that occasion, Mary, the disciples, the servants, the people whose wedding it was, I'm sure the bride and groom were thrilled, and all their guests, they saw it firsthand. And it probably was one of the occasions they never forgot. 
I'm going to share four very simple things with you tonight. They'll come up on the screen one at a time, but I'll tell you what they all are first, and then I'll take you through them one at a time. There is one truth that I want you to see, one person that God's word calls us to trust, one thing that we're invited to do, and then at the very end, one life that's ours to enjoy. Here we go. One truth, first of all, to see. Jesus his mum Mary, and all the disciples were at the wedding. And it was a wedding that probably lasted a few days. Weddings here increasingly are becoming more... I mean, I've had weddings over the last wee while at my church where, where not only do people gather up beforehand, but then they stay over overnight and they have a barbecue at lunch the next day and it just begins... Any of you heard of weddings like that? Yeah? Well, in Jesus' day, weddings went on for about seven days. And so the, the hosts had to keep providing the food and the drink for seven days. And at this particular wedding, the, the drink ran out. It was deadly embarrassing for the people that had organized and were hosting the occasion. It's a bit like a, a, a CE feast, Gilly. Uh, and you, you, you have sort of organized it. You have the place beautifully decorated. And then the people start coming in and you start doling out the chips or the Chinese and there's enough for 13. And you're sitting looking at about 150 and you have enough for 13. And you look at, Gilly looks at, Joy, and Joy looks at John, and John looks at Maddie, and Maddie looks at Henry, and Henry looks at the band, and the band look at the, the guys at the back of the desk. And you're all snookered because there's, there's, no, there's no food. Well, this is what happened at this wedding. The wine ran out, and they all look at each other. And Mary says to Jesus, Jesus, there's no more wine. And Jesus says, look, it's not my time yet. And then Mary says to the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you. And so the guys go and they get these giant water jars. Each of these water jars that Rachel read about held 20 or 30 gallons. So just in case you don't know what 20 or 30 gallons is, it's probably about 120 bottles of Schlur. Okay? So you imagine these big, big, whoops, really off the back, these big containers, and they hold that amount. And Jesus says, look, take six of them, fill them with water, take it to the master of the banquet, pour it out. Sure enough, that's what they did. And the guy that's organizing the feast, he, he, he tastes it, and he knows it's not water. He knows it's wine. And humanly, it's impossible. You know the word for what it is. It's a miracle. So here's the first thing tonight. One thing to see. The Bible tells us, passage that we read, this was the first of the miracles that Jesus performed to manifest or to reveal his glory. Jesus did this so that people would see the truth of who he really was, that his glory would be seen. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that the, the glory of going, yeah, Jesus is pretty amazing, and he is amazing, but that's not what it means. You've got to go, go back to the first chapter of John, where John says, listen, there's one coming, and you will see his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. Who is the one and only? The one and only son of God. This is who it is. This is why Jesus is turning water into wine, so that everyone can see that he is God, God in the flesh, God on our earth. And so every time Jesus performs a miracle, whether it's water into wine, the sea calmed, the deaf hearing, the blind seeing, the people fed, the dead raised, it's all so that everybody who's watching sees the glory of God and goes, wait a minute, this is no ordinary man. 
This is God's son. Were any of you here last week? Put your hand up if you were here last week. Yeah, okay. So you heard Andrew speak about Philip bringing Nathaniel to Jesus. And he says, listen, we have found the one. And Philip says, Nathaniel, come and see. We've found him. You see, here we are. All these things so that the disciples might see and know that Jesus is God. All these things so that everybody from then to now might see and know that Jesus is God. And here's the amazing bit. Jesus did this 2,000 years ago at a wedding. So that sitting in CE tonight, on the 21st of November, 2021, that you might know that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why he turned water into wine. That's why he calmed the sea. That's why he fed 5,000. So that you would, he had you in mind sitting in CE 2,000 years later, that you would hear the truth of what he did. And you would say, wow, wait a minute. Nobody could do this but God in the flesh. You see, if you can trust that only God can do that, then you realize all the rest of the things that you hear about Jesus. He's telling the truth when he dies for our sins. When he says, my word is truth. That's the one thing I want you to see tonight, that Jesus is God's son. That's the first thing. Here's the second one. It'll come up on the screen for you. One person to trust. Come back into the story with me for, for a wee tiny minute. Eventually, Jesus' disciples and followers would understand more and more and more. I guess the first time this happened, water into wine, and they're going, oh, okay, that's interesting. But then they drift on with their lives and they forget it. And then they're out in the boat and the sea gets calmed. And they go, wait a minute, this is, this is interesting. Maybe another occasion, everybody gets fed and they're thinking, whoa, what's going on here? More and more they see Jesus for who he is and the pennies drop and they really believe and they trust. But there's someone in the story tonight and she does more than just see and know who Jesus really is. Her name's Mary. Jesus' physical mother. Strange little conversation that happens because Mary says to Jesus, Jesus, there's no more wine. It's pretty obvious that they've run out of wine. Jesus says, Mary... It's not my time yet. Probably meaning that actually Jesus was not in this moment about to do something miraculous. But Mary has said, Jesus, there's no wine left. And so Mary goes further. She persists. She, in a way, doesn't quite buy that Jesus is not going to do something. And she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So here, here's the second thing, and I want you all to get this. In that little moment, Mary exercises faith. She exercises trust. She exercises belief in Jesus. She just puts the whole situation in his hands. And eventually the disciples would get it, but before they get it, she gets it. I have to be honest with you, Mary in the Bible is one of my favorite, favorite characters. She was the one person on the whole of the earth who knew right from the off that this was the son of God. There was nobody else, not even Joseph, who could be 100 absolute percent sure that this child that was born was from somewhere other than an earthly conception. But Mary knew, boy did she know, there was no way that this was other than from God. And so she trusts Jesus and she puts her trust 
in him with absolute certainty in the crisis, in the embarrassment of the wedding. And she says, Jesus, do something. And here's the second thing that I want you to see and understand tonight. Mary exercised faith. Jesus, young people, Jesus is not just truth to know. He's a person to trust. Actually, he is the person above all others to trust, to turn to, to put your faith in, no matter what. That's faith, not just knowing, that, not just seeing that this Jesus must be the Son of God, but actually coming to the place where you say, because he's the Son of God, I can trust him and I will trust him and actually I must trust him for this life and the life that's yet to come. Put your hand up if you have been... No, don't. Put your hand up if you believe that it's possible to fly to America in an aeroplane. I would be very disappointed if some of your hands are not up. Put your hands down. How many of you have been in a plane and flown to America? Mm, quite a few of you. Okay. You see, there's a difference. We all, there's not one of us here tonight at CE doesn't believe that if you get in a plane, it'll take you to America. As long as the pilot knows what he's doing and the plane is airworthy and there's not fuel in the tank and there's not a crazy storm somewhere, it'll take you to America. But there's a difference between believing it can happen and getting into the plane and going to America. And you see, it's a bit like that with putting your faith in Jesus. I'm reckoning that most of you here tonight say, yeah, 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 I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I've heard, heard enough about him, about CE. But I'm asking you, more than that, have you put your trust in him? Have you put your trust in him to deal with your sin? I've done that. Uh, do you know what? I, I still do that. I said, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I trust him with my sin, with my guilt, with all the situations of my life. I'm asking you tonight, have you done that? Have you heard this good news about who Jesus is and going, yes, I know this is true, and so I'm taking another step. I'm going to put my life in his hands. You see, there's a big difference. Do you see that just like Mary, it's possible to do more than just say, yeah, Jesus is God's son, but actually to take the situation of your life and put it in his hands and say, I'm going to trust him. Not my friend beside me, not my mate down the back, not the CE people who I know love and trust Jesus. I'm going to trust him. And that's the amazing thing about being here on a Saturday night. For some of you, you might look back in years to come and say at CE on the 21st of November, 2021, instead of just knowing about Jesus, God the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and I said, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus for me so that my sin can be forgiven. Young people who are Christians, and I know many of you who are, do you know that like Mary in every tight spot in life, the tough decisions, the difficult friends, the peer pressure, pressure issues, in it all, he's the one you can trust. And I, I look out and I see all your faces and it's so amazing, but I know that there's lots of other stuff going on in your lives. God says tonight, Jesus is not just somebody who you can know is the son of God. He's the one that you can trust with your life, with everything that you're facing, because he loves you and he died for you. Let me take myself on quickly to a third thing. Not just to see and know. 
not just to, to trust and put your trust in him, but something else. One thing to do, it's a simple little point, and I think it's in the story for very, very good reason. The servants. Lads, some of you who think you are strong, and I've got to the stage now where I don't take my boys on, it would just be very unwise, they'd flatten me. Some of you lads who are strong, and I've actually, it's funny to sit, stand here tonight and some of your faces that I've seen on rugby pitches, and I just wouldn't stand in your way. Imagine being one of these servants. You have a walk-on part in the whole thing. It's a fun part. It's a mad instruction. You're told to go and get these big stone pots, probably about this height, hold 20, 30 gallons of water. They are huge, and when they're full, you're not lifting them easily. But you're told, as one of the ordinary guys at the banquet, do what Jesus tells you. Fill these up with water, take it to the master of the banquet, and then this is the crazy bit, take this jug, jar, barrel of water and give it to him and let him take some of it out. This is the guy who's running the feast. He's a wine connoisseur. He's a wedding planner. He's running the reception. It's the daftest thing in all the world to take him a big barrel of water, tell him to take it out and sort of pretend it's wine. Makes no sense. It's water. They know that. He'll know that. And the servants probably don't think it's very funny. You, you imagine you're working in a big hotel uh, and you're told to bring champagne to this table uh, and the boy in around the back says, look, here, here's a wee bottle of water. Take that out and pretend that it's champagne. You, you know you're in bother. It's not going to work. You could be fired. But these boys are asked to do something and they obey. They do it. Guys, young people, can I say to you, when it comes to following Jesus, there are two things you need to do. You need to trust like Mary, and you need to obey like the servants. You see, seeing that Jesus is the Son of God, and saying, yeah, yeah Jesus is the Son of God, that's not quite enough. You need to put your trust in him. And actually, in some ways, that's only the first step of the story, because Jesus calls us to obey. I know tonight that probably 95% of you believe there's a God and Jesus is his son. Quite possibly a big percentage of you say, yeah, I've put my trust in him. I've prayed a prayer and asked him to forgive me. Can I ask you a third question? Will you, with the help of God's Holy Spirit living in you, learn to obey him? There's so many areas of our lives. Jesus says, if you love me, if you trust me, you'll obey me. The proof that you love me is that you obey me. We'll obey him by opening up our Bibles and saying, Lord, I want to listen to what you have to say. We'll obey him in the friendships that we choose and the places that we go. We'll obey him in the relationships that we form, looking to the future of our lives. We'll obey him saying, I, I want to belong to a church where I don't just get the good of CE on a Saturday night, but I want to go somewhere on a Sunday and belong to other Christians around me. I'm going to obey God whenever there are tricky moments in my life where it would be easier not to obey. These servants took the instruction and they obeyed. I'm 47, as some of you know. I could pretend that I'm younger than John, but I'm not. He's younger than me. But I'm still learning to obey. God has opened my eyes to see that Jesus is king. He's enabled me by his Holy Spirit to trust him that I can be forgiven and one day go to heaven. By the Holy Spirit, he's also teaching Sam Finley at 47 years young to keep learning to obey him.
And so I'm saying as I stand in front of you, thank you, Lord Jesus, for helping me to trust. Help me to obey, even when it's costly. I look at you guys, it's going to be challenging in the years to come. It's not going to be a cakewalk following Jesus. This is not for those of you who want an easy ride. This is going to be challenging to obey no matter what it costs. See who he is. Trust him. Obey him. Here's the last bit, and then I'm done. Truth to see, a person to trust. One thing to do, obey him. Finally, a life to enjoy. Can I say there's two punchlines to this miracle? It's not just the story of the water that was turned into wine. That's a a great punchline. That tells me that this Jesus is really the Son of God. But there was more to it. There was a taste test. The water is brought to the master of the ceremony. He's in charge of the whole event, and he takes out some of the water, what he thinks is water, and he tastes it. And I don't know if he swells it around his glass or what he does, but he tastes this and he goes, wow, what on earth are you doing? This is the best I've ever tasted. Usually you use the best stuff first and then when everybody actually is drunk, you bring out the cheaper stuff at the end. But you guys at this wedding have saved the really, 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 really expensive stuff, the very, very best stuff to the end. And he's totally mind blown. How has this happened? You see, There was another punchline. There was another sting in the tail. There was another little smile on Jesus' face because he wanted people to know that life with him is the very, very, very best. Jesus was telling his disciples in the whole world something at that wedding in Cana of Galilee. He was saying that life trusting me, life obeying me is better than anything else. Guys, girls, you take your plans tonight. What is the best plan A that you can throw out? Is it to get three A stars in your A levels, go to wherever, get this fabulous degree and be a doctor? For some of the rest of you, it's to win the school's cup, to win the junior cup, to win whatever, to play at the Aviva, to marry the person of your dreams. And you're going, if I could have this, 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 and this, that would be the best. And God's not saying those things wouldn't be good. But in turning water into wine, and it being the very, very best wine. Jesus was saying, listen, life with me is better than your wildest dreams. My brother-in-law, Scott, his church that we watched online whenever I was, whenever we were in lockdown, we watched Scotty Church in Inverness lots of weeks. And his church have an opening sequence line that includes this phrase, life is infinitely fuller with Jesus infinitely, mind-blowingly better with Jesus. And I stand here tonight to tell you that and to finish by quoting my granny. And this is amazing, but my granny sat there. Gilly, am I right? She sat there. That's where she came to church, in the old pews that were there many years ago. And she had many, many, many phrases. But my favorite, favorite Granny Finley phrase of all was this. In all circumstances that we might face, in trouble that we might be going through, when you bring your prayers and say, Lord, please, Granny's phrase was, you can't beat the Lord. You can't beat the Lord. And I'm standing here 2,000 years after the feast, the wedding in Cana, and I'm saying to you guys, 
you cannot beat following Jesus. Jesus wanted them to see who he was, trust who he was, learn to obey him, and have life at its best. Do you know that's what God wants for you as young people? Whatever life might hold in front of you, it's why the whole of the Bible is full of verses like God saying, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. It's why Jesus said, when you trust me, you'll have life to the full. It's why God says his plans are good and perfect and pleasing. It's why he says there's joy in being forgiven. And it's why he says through Paul, the letter, church at Corinth, eyes have not seen, though the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. Life with Jesus now is better than anything else. And for those who know Christ, the best is yet to come. The enemy's greatest lie is that life is most fun without God. I learn a new phrase all the time, being a father to teenagers. I finish with this. Um, somebody this week was called a fun sponge. <laughs> Heard that phrase? Yeah. You see, the devil's great lie is that God is the fun sponge. I'm here to tell you that the one that I see as Jesus, the son of God, the one who I have trusted, the one who I'm still learning to obey, is not joking when he says it's life to the full. When you trust me and follow me and obey me and come on this adventure that starts now and runs out into eternity. When God has said, I'm even saving better than this for last. Don't miss out on that. Know that God has you here to see that, that you might know his love and trust him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for all these young people. I thank you for the truth of your living word. And I thank you for the promise that you come by your spirit to strive with our hearts to bring us to the place where we see the truth. And then trusting in Jesus, discover the relief and the joy of sins forgiven, the great hope that's ours for the future, and the absolute pleasure and privilege that it is to know and serve and follow Jesus. Lord, I pray that for some of us here tonight, you would call us back to this journey. And maybe for some of us, call us to trust for the very first time. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.